It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast, which has severely changed course since about 11 o'clock this morning. Uh, This was initially going to be just like the feel-good, talk-about-happy-things-and-all-the-good-things-Missouri-is-doing podcast, and the first 10 minutes are going to be that. Uh, We welcome in Brad Luce. Uh, Obviously, this weekend is Missouri's fourth annual, I believe, Rally for Ryan basketball game, and uh, Brad, all other happenings today aside, how are things going? Really good. Uh, You know, uh, our day, I think all of our days kind of got thrown for a loop this morning, but uh, I appreciate you guys stepping away from Twitter for a few minutes, and uh, I think we all could use a little bit of happiness in our lives right now, right? (laughs) Yes. So uh, before we get into kind of this weekend and everything, just the, the first question I feel like we always need to ask you when, when we talk to you is how's Ryan doing? She is doing phenomenal. Um, you know, I and I sound like a broken record sometimes, but really, if if she ran into my office right now, or ran into in front of you guys right now, you you'd never know anything was wrong with her. Uh, she's your typical eight year old little girl. She goes to school. She goes to dance. Uh, she picks on her brother. Uh, you know, all the stuff that eight year old kids do. And so we're we're extremely blessed. Brad, uh, obviously, you know, the, the big part of the, the Rally for Ryan game is, is, you know, donations at the game. But are there any uh, additional uh, events going on or, around this weekend's, this Saturday's game, or uh, other ways that, that people can, can donate? Yeah, so the, the format of this year's game is going to be very similar to last year. Uh, you know, when, when you come through the doors, we will have people taking donations. Uh, we'll be selling T-shirts. Uh, they're on sale now at the Tiger Team Store, the University Bookstore, and online. Um and then we're, we're also going to have an auction uh, in the North Concourse with some pretty cool uh, items that, that, you know, especially Mizzou items that uh, you can only get, you know, through this auction. Uh, we're going to have a 50-50 raffle. Uh, we're going to have a text-to-donate option uh, while you're sitting in your seat. And then finally, uh, you know, after, after halftime, we'll send some volunteers up and down the, the aisles uh, to take donations again. So if you have money, we are going to find a way to get at it. <laughs> well, it, it's good that your daily job basically involves the same approach now. Uh, right. You yeah, have I money, mean, please I'm give sure, it to me. Exactly. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure people will no longer answer my phone calls anymore <laughs> because they know what I'm calling. They see my number pop up. It's usually meaning I'm wanting to get into their wallet. So I, I want to ask you a random question, then I'll explain why when you when you tell me who, how do you go about deciding which game is is the rally for Ryan? Like who schedules this? Our marketing office does that. Uh, a guy named Ross Rasty who works uh, in our marketing office. He he heads up the the basketball marketing, and you know they've got all sorts of halftime shows. Uh, Red Panda, the dogs. Uh, I think last year we had some Russian flippers that did some stuff and. <laughs> So he, he usually tries to find a, a, a good weekend, what good weekend game where uh, our students are in town, um, you know, and, and it kind of fits. And, you know, usually it, it finds a home somewhere right in the middle of early to mid-February. Okay, because I, I joked earlier this week, I, I feel like the Rally for Ryan game has become kind of the equivalent of what football homecoming used to be. Missouri doesn't lose on this weekend, so I want to know if the opponent determines when the game is or if <laughs> you guys pick a game and go, well, we know we're winning this game because it's the Rally for Ryan game, so which one do we really well, want to win? We str- we strategically place this game at the beginning of the season when we know that we're going to have uh, you know a couple-game losing streak that we need to play. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we do, yeah. 
No, it just it just so happens that it falls at a good time, and we need a win right now. And uh, Ryan is undefeated, knock on wood. So why not now? That's right, uh, Brad. You know, obviously, when when this rally for Ryan kind of started, it was you know in part a way just to, to to pay for Ryan's medical expenses. But now that she's uh, been cancer free for a little while now, just kind of talk about uh, all the the different things that that the the foundation and the the money go toward. Yeah. So yeah, initially, uh, you know, when Ryan was first diagnosed, the whole rally for Ryan campaign was uh, to kind of help us with with uh, travel expenses and and you know, different, uh, financial needs that we had. Um, you know, fortunately for me, I, I've got a good job and, uh, you know, we're able to take care of ourselves. And so we've transitioned this money over to pediatric cancer research, uh, clinical trials. Um, you know, we, we funded or helped fund three trials so far. Um, you know, and, uh, we've been really successful. We've, we've uh, donated a hundred thousand dollars at a time. Uh, and so it's been really good for us in, in terms of giving back and, um, you know, we, we funded a trial in New York. Uh, we funded another trial at a children's hospital in Philadelphia, and then we funded a uh, third trial back at our home hospital uh, in New York again. And so it's been great. We feel like we've done a ton of good, uh, you know, being that we've donated a couple times to the hospital in New York, we've seen the kids that it's actually impacting, which is incredibly uh, satisfying for us. And, you know, we, we know that this money's being put to good use. Hey, I don't remember offhand, Brad, what the, the totals from the last couple of years have been. Do you guys have a, a goal set for what you'd like to, to raise this week? No, not necessarily. I mean, we, we've raised uh, close to 50 the first year. Uh, I think it was 55-ish the second year. And then last year we raised 72,000. Um, you know, this year, if, you know, if we could go above and beyond that, that'd be great. But, you know, we really have no set number in mind. Uh, you, whatever we raise is great, and uh, we'll try to put it towards great use. So, Brad, uh, at last year's Rally for Ryan game, as I'm sure a lot of people will remember, um, the players wore uh, T-shirts with names of pediatric cancer patients on the back, mm-hmm. and Kevin Perrier had uh, Ryan's name on it, and then he ended up hitting a corner three to send the game into overtime, and it was kind of a, a nice poetic moment. Uh have is is that going to be the case this season? Are our players going to wear the uh, the t shirt? And if so, can you tell us who gets the honor of uh, wearing Ryan's name? Because we'll expect a game winner or something from that person. Yeah, we we're, we're doing that again. And uh, per KP, whether he likes it or not, is going to wear Ryan's shirt again. <laughs> we, we're not we're not messing with fate. So uh, expect a big game from KP. Hey, Brad, I, I did want to kind of ask you, I mean, obviously, you know, basketball probably better than most people in, in your position, just watching this team uh, over the course of this year and, and since Jonte went down, kind of what have your impressions been of, of this season and, and where this program's going under Conzo? Well, I, I think Coach Martin's doing a phenomenal job, um, you know, with the adversity that they faced, uh, you know, you spend an entire uh, preseason getting ready and, and Jonte is going to be your focal point as, as he should be. Cause he's an incredible player. The same thing with last year, you know, Mike being the focal point, you plan everything around that, you know, it, it takes time uh, to adjust. And, you know, I, I, this is just a young team. You know, you look at our pieces uh, when you, when you're playing uh, Pinson and Watson and Pickett, uh so many minutes, um, it's just going to take some time and there's going to be peaks and valleys. And so, uh, I think as long as our fan base is patient with these kids, uh, they're going to see the the fruits of the labor, you know, in a year or two from now, if not sooner, because, you know, the, these kids are playing big minutes now, and that's only going to help them down the road. And, uh, I think it's definitely going to pay dividends. 
as Gabe referenced, you obviously, you know, you, you were a coach at, at Missouri for a couple of years, and, and one of the guys you coached was Jordan Geist, who's kind of emerged as not only the, the leading scorer of this team, but just kind of the heart and soul uh, of the group. Are you surprised at all at, at kind of the, the player that the Geist has become as a senior? And uh, if so, just, you know, how, how do you feel like, uh, I guess, he, he got to this point? You know, I, I don't know that I'm surprised. Uh, I'm happy that uh, Jordan is playing as well as he is. Uh, you know, when we were recruiting Jordan uh, when he was in junior college, this is who Jordan was. I mean, he, he never passes the eye test, right? You look at him and you you think he, he looks like a D2 guy out there. Um, but it, it, you can't measure that kid's heart. It's, you know, it's just enormous. And he goes out there and he's got so much fight in him and uh, – you know, he, he plays with that chip on his shoulder night in and night out. And that's, that, that's what we loved about him in junior college. And uh, the reason why we brought him here is because, you know, he, he kind of fits that persona, which just so happens that that's kind of who Coach Martin is as a coach and the personality that he wants this team to have. And so it was just it's turned out to be a great fit for both of them. All right, last thing for you, Brad. Over the, the last few years, we've all gotten to kind of see Ryan grow up. And I know the first year she was – she was pretty uh, bashful about even getting out on the court. Like she's to the age now, you're going to hand her the microphone for the halftime speech on Saturday, right? We're we are taking big steps in the right direction. So yeah, <laughs> the, the first year, the only way we were able to get her out on the court was her her best friend Cameron uh, uh, volunteered to go out with us, and so that's why Ryan agreed to go out because Cameron was going out. Uh, and so now this year, uh, Ryan would never like do interviews or anything or get in front of the camera. Well, this year we finally got her in front of a camera. And so, uh, who knows, maybe next year she's going to give the halftime speech. So <laughs> baby steps. All right, Brad. We'll appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll definitely catch up with you on Saturday night and, uh, hope there's a full house and, and everybody remembers their wallets. Guys, I, I really appreciate you helping us uh, publicize this. And, uh, you know, I say it every year, but this is this has gotten as big as it has because of you guys helping us out and, uh, you know, getting the word out and helping us raise money. It's It's been tremendous. We never anticipated it getting this big, and, and, and it is because of you guys. So thank you very much, and, uh, you know, really appreciate you guys. So All right. Thanks, Brad, Absolutely. and uh, best wishes right. to, to your family. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Hey, thank, thank you. What, what are you guys going to talk about the rest of the show? <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out something. Uh, you know, All we'll right. probably Super, talk about Super the basketball Bowl, game. Super Bowls. Super Super Bowl's on Sunday if you guys want to cover that. No, but. football season ended two weeks ago, Brad. <laughs> Touche. Touche. <laughs> All right, All right have a good guys. One. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. Brad Luce, uh, again, rally for Ryan game, 730 Saturday night against Vanderbilt. Um, we were going to talk about that. We were going to talk about a mind-numbingly bad second half at Auburn, and now we're going to talk about none of that because uh, – There's been some news. Yeah. Um, I, I saw Dave Matters tweet at, I don't know, 8.30 this morning that there was going to be a conference call, and my reaction was, okay, cool, we're going to get on there. They're going to say, yeah, they punished the, the kids who were involved. Everything's good. We're happy with what Missouri's done, and we're going to move on with our day. And um, not really. Yeah. Uh, no, it did not quite go that way. Uh, postseason ban for the football team, the baseball team, and the softball team. Three years of probation. Uh, 5% scholarship uh, deduction for each of those programs, uh, fine, uh, some recruiting limitations that they, they kind of got thrown the book. Yeah, I, I mean, they got hammered. And um, we're going to have, in, in a little bit, we're going to have Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic on uh, to talk about this. She was on the conference call that Mitchell and I were both on earlier this afternoon. And we kind of want to get, I want to get an outside perspective because like, 
I know what my reaction is to this. I know what your reaction is to this. I want somebody who's not going to be viewed as partisan and see mm-hmm. what the what the reaction is from outside Missouri, although I, I think I already know. Um, I mean, I got I, I got a text just a few minutes before the report came out that said postseason ban for football, baseball, and softball. I thought it was a joke. I, I thought maybe somebody misinterpreted. I just I mean, about a year ago, to me, the NCAA forfeited all right to say they care about school mm-hmm. with the North Carolina stuff. And and what came out of this, it specifically says in the report at North Carolina, even though the classes were created, and this is like this is verbatim, the classes were created and graded by an office secretary. The student athletes at North Carolina did their own work. So what it. What we have figured out, it is better to do your own fake work than to have someone else do your real work. Yeah, basically in the North Carolina case, it came down to the NCAA said, if the university is going to accredit these classes and, and say they count, then we are not in a position to say they don't. But since Missouri admitted that these students violated the honor code, we're in a position to say that's a, a level one violation. And I, there's a lot of lot of things that that kind of uh, you know I have a lot of thoughts on this and yeah. it's hard to really organize them. But the, the one thing, first of all, is this came as a huge shock. You know, and talking to people about this case and for the last I don't know however long it's been going on, even since I was a student, I think that it all just kind of came down to like there's never been any you know provable indication that this was ordered by someone in the athletic department or system wide or you know something that that was happening on a large scale. So it was just kind of be going to be the word of this tutor against the word of the superiors in the Missouri Athletic Department. I think everyone felt pretty confident how that would turn out. Uh, as it was, the NCAA said that was the case, that there was no uh, corroboration of a widespread cheating or direction from a superior, but just the fact that it happened, even in these isolated instances, still qualifies as a level one violation, and that really surprised me. And that Missouri admitted it happened. Mm-hmm. And so here is what we have learned from Uh, Going back to Cam Newton, to Bruce Pearl, to Roy Williams, when the NCAA comes calling, what you say is, I didn't do anything, Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to help you figure out if I did do something. This is the equivalent of walking into the police station with blood on your hands, and Missouri said, yeah, we know who who killed the person. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, if you're Missouri, you walk in with blood on your hands and say, I don't know, you better figure out what happened. That's your job, but we're not going to help you. Yeah. No, Um, yeah. And in that case, I think Missouri would have gotten off. Probably, yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know how like with admitting or disciplining it internally those students, if that would have been interpreted as an admission Which of guilt did. on its own. Yeah, I, I mean, know. AJ Logan was suspended. Oh, yeah. TJ Warren was suspended. Yeah, I'm just saying, I don't know if that could have been interpreted as an admission of guilt on its own by the mm-hmm. NCAA, even if Missouri declined to cooperate with the NCAA. But like, even on our conference call, this spokesman from the the panel of the, you know committee on infractions or whatever said you know he basically said i can see how you would interpret it this way that missouri coming forward and self-reporting these violations landed them in this much trouble and uh, that's like going to become the whole national narrative about this now is like you know if you if you deny and lie you're better off than self-reporting that was in response to my question and i seriously wanted to cut him off and say you know what you just said right (laughs) i I mean it it was uh, i I, look i i would say I would say this if this was Kansas, if it was anybody. I, I don't get it. Um, it's it's insane the level of penalties that Missouri was. And, look, 
baseball and softball are impacted, and okay, that's fine. Those two programs probably weren't playing in the postseason this year anyway. This is about Missouri's football team. Yeah. And about the fact that no matter what they do, at least as it stands right now, they're not playing in a bowl game. Now, I talked to Neil McCready, who uh, covers Ole Miss for the Rivals Network and has some experience with uh, (laughs) long, drawn-out NCAA appeals. And I said, so what if we get to – you know, December 7th or whatever, whenever the SEC title game is and Missouri is qualified and all that, and but there's no resolution to this. Can they play in a bowl game and push this penalty off or is it, no, you can't play? And he said, look, this isn't going to be resolved before a bowl game, so Missouri's not going to play in one. He said, now, Missouri could come out and say, screw you, we're playing in a bowl game, do with it what you want when we're done. Now, yeah. I don't know if a bowl takes them yeah. in that scenario, but – to me now, the the mantra of this Missouri team is, let's be UCF from last year. Yeah. Let's go 12-0, and 0, let's just kill everybody, and let's go claim a national championship and tell everybody we hate the NCAA. I'm not saying that's realistic, <laughs> but that's your motivation. Yeah, yeah, and we did learn shortly before we went on air that, that Kelly Bryant will be back, or is at least has said, he indi- he he's is, indicated yeah. that he will stay on the team, so uh, that's not totally binding, but it indicates he'll be there. Uh, so, so just to clarify, like, if their the appeal process is going on they still can't play in a bowl game i i tech he what neil seemed to think is technically like they could yeah but it wouldn't happen i thought and i could i see no one has explicitly said this so this is just my this was my guess based on the language that this spokesman said in our very scratchy teleconference was that he said that the, the team could get like a stay uh in the event of an appeal which i took to mean the sanctions wouldn't take effect until after the appeals process ended. Obviously, we'll check on that for you guys and, and let you know. But th- that is, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, the flip side of that almost is, though. you penalizing then even future further You go down the road. a year down the road, and how do you recruit with that hanging over your head, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, like Mitchell said, Kelly Bryant's expected to say. The, the basic thing is now, if you are a Missouri senior, and I don't think this affects baseball or softball, because those sports start in a week and a half. Those mm-hmm. kids, there's nowhere for them to go. Mm-hmm. But football, anybody who's going to be a senior now, I mean, whether it's Kelly Bryant, uh, Jonathan Nance, Rashad Floyd, you know. Kale Garrett. Uh, yeah, anybody who would be going into their last year of eligibility basically now is free to go mm-hmm. if they want to. I can tell you guys Kelly Bryant's people were getting calls within minutes of this coming out. Um, you know, I, I don't think most of them will uh, but it wouldn't shock me if there's a senior or two who says hey man i want to play in a bowl game my last year i'm gone yeah i would agree i mean i you know not gonna guess individual names or anything like that but i wouldn't blame a a kid who's probably doesn't have an nfl future who you know going into their last year of eligibility who wants to try to find a spot on a team that's going to go play in a bowl game so so what's this do for barry odom because to me like this isn't i i don't think this was under him I, maybe it was. I don't know exactly when this happened. I honestly don't you know, know either. I, I know that the tutor in question was a tutor while I was a student, which briefly overlapped with the Barry Odom era, but mainly wasn't. I, I want to say she was gone by my senior year, and my senior year was Barry Odom's first year. Uh, I could be wrong on that, though. But, but I mean, if it overlapped with his tenure, it was barely. It, it wasn't. The majority of this didn't happen there. So, yeah. to me now, this is... Like, if he has the 57th-ranked recruiting class in the country next year, what what are you going to – Yeah. You can't – it almost buys him another two years. In a sense, yeah, I would say so. Although I also – I mean, it's obviously going to be frustrating for him. Yeah, I mean, he's 
had maybe his, you know, not honestly, not maybe his best team. What looks like his best team coming in this current current year, they might not be able to play in the postseason, and uh, he's going to miss some incentives uh, in his contract for that reason. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. I it's there's still kind of a lot that we have to unpack and figure out and, and how the, what the ripple effect on this is going to look like, you know, what players might leave, how this is going to you know impact various programs, what the appeal process looks like. It's, it's just, you know, we're, we're kind of dealing with the initial shockwave right now. And then we'll, we'll start to get into all that. And make no mistake, Missouri is appealing. Jim Sterks already said it. I got texts from people, whether they're donors, whether they're involved with Missouri, like, uh, sorry, I didn't put the explicit lyrics tag on this, but every one of them pretty much included the word bullshit somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, Missouri is they're pissed off at this yeah. and they are going to fight this with everything they've got. Now, what that means, whether they'll be successful, I've got no idea, but they're absolutely going to fight. Yeah. My one initial thought on on the appeal is this, uh, you know, if you look at the NCAA violation matrix, which I did not know was a thing, but I looked right. up uh, after it was mentioned in this teleconference, the punishments handed out are consistent in the matrix with a level one violation with a mitigating factor, which the mitigating factor in this case being self-reporting. Uh so to lessen those penalties, you would have to basically convince uh, whoever the appellate person or panel is that these weren't level one violations. And the the language on the NCAA website about level one violations is extremely vague. Yeah. So I don't know what the, the chances are of winning this appeal. I would guess not great because you're basically right. appealing back to another arm of the NCAA. Um, but certainly, I mean, I, you know, you don't blame Missouri for, for fighting this. And the other thing, and I remember saying this repeatedly after, uh, angel of death, Charles Robinson's story came out about (laughs) Frank Haith, like people need to understand this is not a court of law. Mm -hmm. Nobody has to prove beyond a doubt. Missouri did this. Mm -hmm. They don't have to prove anything. They just have to say, yeah, we think you did. And Missouri already said they did. Yeah. So I I don't know, like you, like, I'm not sure what the grounds of the appeal are because you already said you did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've already admitted this has happened. I think, I think the grounds of the appeal, and this is just my guess, but I think the grounds of the appeal is this was an isolated thing with one tutor. It wasn't system wide. So we don't think it should be a level one violation, but no one actually knows what a level one violation is. Right. Or just, no, we're not disputing that it happened, but your committee on infractions has doled out the death penalty when they should have given us two years in jail. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I, I don't know. That's, uh, that's where we're at, at least, uh, at least locally on this. Uh, I don't know. We can spend a minute. Um, Missouri was within three of Auburn at halftime and then Auburn scored as many points as Missouri scored in the whole game in the second half. Yeah. Uh, it didn't go real well. No. Auburn's a much more talented team than Missouri, and they don't match up well with Missouri. I mean, uh, you know, Auburn's strength is its guards. They got really athletic, uh, good defensive guards who pressure and, and force a lot of turnovers and can absolutely shoot the lights out. And Missouri just wasn't athletic enough to stay in front of those guys. And even in the first half when it was close, Auburn was missing a lot of threes that were pretty good looks. And once those started to fall, it was all over. I, I just came up with Jim Sterk's idea for the appeal. Just say, can we change it from football to basketball? Like, basketball <laughs> won't play in the postseason. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So guess what, guys? Instead basketball of, ain't playing in the postseason. Instead of A.J. Logan taking faith classes, it was, I don't know, some past basketball player is not here anymore. Ryan Rosberg. <laughs> Ryan Rosberg. No we don't to Ryan mean Rosberg. to solely yeah, your name no, if you're of, listening. Of uh, Ryan Rosberg. It, it, again, it wasn't fake classes. The classes all existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just you know, getting this, help, whatever. This is not Chapel Hill, North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's that from this perspective. 
Okay, now we want to get a little bit of a national perspective on this because, like I said, uh, Mitchell and I have our takes, but sometimes it helps to, to step outside a little bit and see if uh, if people that have no connection and don't cover this every day feel the same way we do. So Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic is joining us. Uh, Nicole was on the conference call earlier today where the Committee on Infractions kind of laid out what was going on. And uh, first off, Nicole, I know it's uh, busy like like us. I'm sure your day was a little bit wrecked by this, so thanks for taking some time. Yeah, of course, anything. So I I, I don't know where to start, but the, the most stunning part of this uh, conference call to me was when I asked, uh, first of all, you know, basically if Missouri had said we didn't do anything wrong like North Carolina, are they okay? And we were told, um, yeah, that's possible. And then you followed that up with, so our school's now encouraged to be dishonest. And, and he said, well, you couldn't, I could see how you could say that. I mean, I was stunned by those answers. Yeah, me too. Um, like to the point where I was like, did he really just say that? <laughs> exactly. Um, because that is a reasonable response to what we saw and the way it was outlined and particularly the part where they directly compared it to North Carolina um, you know, I was texting with some athletic directors today, and, like, that is one of the ways to read this. That is an obvious knee-jerk reaction to this. Um, and, you know, I, I think you know, I, I wrote about that particular point and um, kind of parsed through some of the Louisville situation as well after the escort scandal. Now, they also cooperated. They also self-imposed things, including a postseason ban. And they thought that that was going to be taken into consideration when determining the severity of the penalties. And when they appealed, they specifically brought that up. They said, hey, the Committee on Infractions is supposed to take this stuff into consideration. It's written out. And then the appeal, the the response was, you're right, uh, but we're not changing the penalties. (laughs) So, you know, to me, it's just, it's, it's confusing, much like many of these decisions are when you look at them against other decisions. Um, there's, there's obviously a lot that's just not consistent across the board, but it used to be that if you did go out of your way to cooperate and punish yourself and investigate yourself, that the committee looked fondly upon that, and it did take that in consideration and sometimes give more lenient penalties. And so if you're saying that it doesn't and that you're going to have what I think most people's reactions today were that these were very severe penalties for one tutor um, who apparently was not being directed to do the things she was doing. Um, you know, if you're saying that you're still going to get all of these severe penalties, even though you cooperated, you told the truth, you admitted that this was against the honor code, then what's the point of telling the truth? And that's sort of, that's all I could kept thinking today is what on earth does this incentivize? It incentivizes denying defending whatever it is. North Carolina defended those bogus classes, even though, you know, that that doesn't look great for their academic integrity and the university, but by defending those classes and by saying that they were available to non-student athletes, they got off scot-free. So is that the model? Is that what they want schools to do? Of course not. But that's the way that this is looking and the way that it looks to incentivize. And Nicole Mitchell Forty here. Uh, you, you touched on this a little bit already, but aside from just the you know compare and contrast with other cases thing, I think the part that confused a lot of people 
um, what was the fact that in the report the NCAA admitted or said that there was no evidence that anyone else in the athletic department directed this or that the a superior ordered this tutor to uh, to take this coursework for these kids, and yet it still comes down as, as a level one violation. Um, I don't know, you know, if anyone knows this for sure because the NCAA has been so inconsistent, but uh, in, in your experience and what you've seen in the past, is this typical of, of what constitutes, you know, that serious a violation on a, a level one violation? Well, that's a great question because this all changed very recently. Um, like, I believe Louisville was maybe the first big case that was, and this might be wrong, um, under the new penalty structure. And listen, I understand the NCAA has these penalties, has these structures, made them more severe because they want to deter bad behavior. I get all of that. I was very, I, I'm very much on board with the part of their penalty structure now where a head coach is held responsible for things that happen under their program, even if they didn't know about them, because we would have so many, so many head coaches would just be like, I had no idea. I had no idea. Or they would tell their subordinates, don't tell me what you're doing. Like that doesn't work anymore. That's a great rule. That's a great addition to the penalty structure, but the other stuff has been inconsistent and it has been confusing. And I think that if you're going to outline you know, how this in particular becomes a level one violation, um, you need to be a lot more clear about it because you need to figure out um, if, if you're going to try to deter certain behavior, you have to be very clear about what that behavior is and how it merits the punishment. Um, and so I think that's what is understandably very frustrating to a lot of people today. Talking with Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic, and uh, I, I've covered more NCAA investigations than I wish I had over the years, but but <laughs> you guys that do it nationally obviously have more experience. Just Missouri's already said that they're appealing. In your experience covering things, do appeals to the NCAA ever really change anything? Well, you know, it, it, it obviously they're case-by-case. Case. Um, it helps if there's, like, new information um i I think that what they'd be going for here you know based on the statement of the athletic director is a look at that you know the mitigating and aggravating factors here and that's exactly what louisville tried to appeal on they said very similar things we were really cooperative we imposed penalties on ourselves we did all of these things that usually uh you guys look fondly upon and that didn't work and so i imagine that that would be similar to what um, would be part of Missouri's appeal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it didn't work for Louisville, and it is hard to predict any of these things, again, without a ton of new information. Um, you know, it, it's just you, you don't know what you're going to get. So I, I think, it, you know, it, you, you got to appeal. <laughs> I understand why they're appealing. I understand why they're incredibly frustrated, because I would be too, and this is exactly what Louisville went through as well. Um, and so, you know, I, you got to do it, but yeah, I, I don't know how optimistic you can be just seeing again, what recent trends have suggested. Uh, Nicole, obviously, uh, you know, softball and baseball were implicated in this as well, but the main program that was, uh, impacted was football. We were talking about this a little bit before, uh, you got on here and, and just about, you know, if, if an appeal is going on, could Missouri still technically uh, play a bowl game or if, if the sanctions wouldn't take effect until after uh, the appeal is decided? Do you have an idea on, you know, if this appeal lasts a year from now and it's not decided uh, in December of 2019, if, if Missouri could, could play in a bowl game and then deal with the, the bowl ban the following year? Yeah, my guess would be the, that it would 
be in effect unless overturned. Um, I'm not 100% positive on that. I think it's more interesting, and this did come up on the call, about the fact that baseball and softball are starting right now. Um, Because, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of fallout here, and there's a lot of interesting implications about all of these football players and the fact that anyone who has one year of eligibility left um, would be able to transfer without penalty. This is, we, we learned this with Penn state, right? If you, if you, if the, sorry, my dog is barking in the background. I don't know what he's barking <laughs> no at. Um, he, his name is red Auerbach, So he is sports related. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so anyway, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's one of those things where like, you know, they're going to have to go this season for baseball and softball and their athletes are not going to have any, um, any way to get out at this point, but the football players, could feasibly transfer. So what are you going to do about that? What are you going to be doing? You know, they're, they're going to be treating all of this, and I think the NCAA would, would treat it this way too, as if this is the final ruling. And then the appeal could change. I don't know. I, you know, we've had people appeal. Processes take varied amounts of time. Um, but I, I just think, you know, you're going to have to have players and coaches, everyone, at Missouri under the impression that it's not going to get overturned and that it would be in effect for this year, which is why I think you would definitely need to see if guys are going to transfer. Um, and I'd be curious to see, you know, obviously like the, the players with one year of eligibility left would get, um, would be able to transfer without penalty. I, w- I would wonder if any of the younger guys tried or recruits tried um, because these waivers, which are also kind of new it's April, 2018, there was a modification on the transfer rules. So now these waivers are being given out pretty uh, pretty much like candy for immediate eligibility. So I'd be curious, too, and those are all going to be things that we're all going to be covering, you guys, especially in the aftermath. Um, you know, if younger players or recruits try to transfer and try to be immediately eligible. I mean, there's so many different factors and things that are going to happen, but I think everything is in the context and the backdrop of assuming that that bowl ban will be in place for this season. Last thing from me, Nicole, and we talked about this a little bit. What what does this do for Barry Odom, who, it, from what we can tell, like this largely didn't happen under his watch. He's been been under a little fire his first, you know, two and a half years, kind of turned it around with a, with a run this year. But, uh, you know, to me, this almost now, like all the recruiting restrictions and everything, this almost is like an extra year now for Barry Odom where you go, well, if you're no good, we kind of can't blame you for it. Right. I mean, I think that that would definitely have to be the approach that fans and the administration would take. Um, when they're recruiting restrictions, um, it, 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 it's definitely, it, it, hold, it pulls your hands behind your back. I mean, you can't do certain things. And I think that was the part, you know, obviously the bowl ban got a ton of attention, but why on earth would there be recruiting restrictions imposed right. for this? Like, th- there were so many little pieces to the severity of the punishment that didn't make sense. Um, but this had absolutely nothing to do with recruiting. I mean, you get recruiting restrictions and, and punishments when there are recruiting violations or, you know, widespread issues across the entire program. Um, it's just, it's, it's that, that, that's one of the things, you know, I was, I was speaking with um, an administrator elsewhere who is actually, you know, pretty big proponent of uh, the committee on infractions and the process and thinks that people should be punished more. And the first thing she said, I didn't understand the recruiting restrictions. So, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to take that into consideration and give him some leeway. Um, I think, you know, th- this is why when coaches that have, you know, NCAA sanctions or things kind of hanging over them, you know, they get longer leashes. They get longer deals because, 
you know how much this is going to set you back. I mean, you look at USC and think about how USC should be this power in the Pac-12 every year, and you can see that, you know, sanctions and recruiting issues, um, scholarship reductions, those things really have lasting impacts. And, you know, theirs is, is is, you know, on one end of the spectrum, this is much smaller, but there are larger consequences to um, to penalties like that. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, maybe that's an area that Missouri could appeal and try to get those, um, that particular restriction uh, or penalty lessened. I mean, because again, it really does not seem like it had anything to do with a tutor, um, you know, doing coursework for other people. Um, but I, so, yeah, I mean, I would be frustrated because, you know, a lot of times when these things happen, they take so long to process that, the people affected by it are people who were not directly involved in it. And especially when it's not like a athletic department wide or football program wide issue. Um, like it's not in this case, it was just a select few people. Um, you know, a lot more people are going to be affected by this than we're even, you know, secondhand, thirdhand removed from this tutor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would think that Barry Odom, I think the players, I mean, I, I feel bad for them because they're going to be, and this is what happens every single time, with these types of penalties in Louisville, you felt bad for the players who were there and hadn't at all been there during the escort scandal. All of this stuff always ends up hurting players and sometimes coaches who were not part of it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would hope that the fan base would understand that the administration certainly should um, when they're evaluating Barry Odom in the coming season. Last thing, Nicole, uh, you know, I saw a lot of on Twitter today as kind of this news was coming in, a lot of people dusting off the old uh, Jerry Tarkanian quote of NCAA being so mad at, at Kentucky that it punishes Cleveland State. And I don't, I'm not one to think that, that, you know, this would be a different punishment if it were a, a bigger school. But do you do you get the sense that possibly, you know, with the, the blowback from the North Carolina case and this ongoing, you know, FBI investigation into college basketball with fans that fans are pretty, uh, I would say, impatient about hearing an NCAA ruling on that, that maybe the NCAA is looking to be uh, a little more strict on, on you know, the, the, the investigations it's currently working on and trying to send a message of, of intolerance? Well, I mean, if you just think about the last week, the message that they sent, um, you have this, which, you know, I do think that there are people who are looking at this to try to be like a makeup case for what happened about what they couldn't and didn't do in North Carolina. Um, or, you know, the other, you know, all of these are cynical reactions, but not without merit, but, you know, or the idea that, well, it was North Carolina, they're sacred cow, we're not going to go them, but Missouri we can do, like, it's fine. It's not the same level of, like, untouchable status. Um, but you also had, just a few days ago, Dewan Hernandez, um, the player at Miami, he ruled ineligible for the whole season and 40% of next season. We're not even sure. This was over less than $500 that he didn't even receive. So there, definitely, I would agree that there are messages that they are trying to send right now. Um, and you could wonder why. You can wonder to whom they're trying to send these messages. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's clearly something, um, you know, again, you're trying to deter behavior. So you do want severe penalties. Um, but the frustrating part for a lot of people, and, and certainly people who are fans of, you know, Miami or Missouri this week, is that it is inconsistently applied and it is difficult and it is frustrating when people are directly punished who had no knowledge of something, who did not receive a benefit, um, you know, who who were trying to stamp this out or trying to be honest about it, whatever it is. That's the frustrating part. And I totally get that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you have a, you have a case with the FBI going on, an ongoing thing where 
the coaches who have been mentioned or implicated, not the assistant coaches who have pled guilty and been on trial, but other coaches whose names have come up, they're not sitting out. They're not being held out. You have basketball players being held out because they've been mentioned. Now you have, um, you know, a full program and a coaching staff and players who are, are facing a postseason ban. So, yeah, they are, there's clearly a message being sent. And, again, I understand the, the point of it to deter behavior you don't want. Um, but the inconsistencies and the severity of some of this is the part that's harder to stomach. Nicole, I appreciate your time and the perspective. And uh, this is like episode 253, and you have the best pet name of anyone who's ever appeared on our podcast. So thanks. <laughs> Excellent. I feel like it offsets the fact that you heard him whining. So I appreciate that. Thanks, uh, for, thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thanks, thanks a Nicole. lot. Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic. And, uh, again, she was on the conference call. And, it, look, I think came away with the same impression we did, which is, what the hell are you saying? Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, as she pointed out, it's just the the biggest thing I think that a lot of people nationally are left wondering is what are you incentivizing? You know, are you asking people to, to deny and lie to your face or, or to cooperate? Because, you know, recent history it would suggest it's the former. So we'll leave you with this. If anybody accuses you of anything, just say you didn't do it. Um, Maybe not it anyone, else. just if it's NCAA. I'm not sure I recommend that strategy in all facets <laughs> of life. Okay, if the NCAA accuses you of something, say you didn't do it. Um, look, this is going to go on for, I, I mean, we're just at the, the tip of the iceberg here. The, the fallout from this, the storylines, everything, we're going to be kind of working every angle on this. Uh, we're going to await a statement maybe from the curators, maybe from Mizzou's legal counsel, from the coaches involved. I mean, everything that we get, we will certainly pass on and um, let you guys know what we can. Um, first time ever we – I mean, we were going to do a podcast anyway, but I tweeted like I always wanted to say we had an emergency podcast. Yeah, I, I was phrasing it the same way. Yeah. I'm excited so about it. <laughs> I did not use the little siren emoji, though. You should when it comes out. All right. So, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday, hopefully, with like a pre-planned podcast. But uh, who knows? Talk to you in seven days. It's Missouri. Weird things happen.